Well, hello everybody. How's it going? It is quickly approaching the end of May. Actually, it's just halfway through. It seems like it should be to the end already. Um, but uh, we are here um, looking at Acts 15 today. Uh, so we're going to jump in here to the Bible. And if you want to read along with me, we're starting at Acts 15, starting at verse 1. So here we go. It says, While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, Unless you are circumcised, as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them, but then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of Pharisees stood up and insisted that Gentiles must, the Gentile converts, converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversation of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted as it is written, Afterward I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it, so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken. He has made these things known so long ago. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. Then the apostles and elders together with the whole church in Jerusalem chose delegates, and they sent them to Antioch of Syria with Paul and Barnabas to report on this decision. The men chosen 
where two of the church leaders, Judas, also called Barsabbas, and Silas. This is the letter they took with them. This is the letter. This letter is from the apostles and elders, your brothers in Jerusalem. It is written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings. We understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching, but we did not send them. So we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you official representatives, along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are sending Judas and Silas to confirm that we have decided to confirm what we have decided concerning your question. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. The messengers were at once to Antioch, where were where they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter. And there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. Then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers, encouraging and strengthening their faith. They stayed for a while, and the believers sent them back to the church in Jerusalem with a blessing of peace. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch. They and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord there. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas as he left. And as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Sicilia, Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. All right, Acts 15. So, uh, when was the last time that you completed a major project? Think about that for a second. When was the last time you completed a major project? You know, I'm thinking here at the church, I know a lot of you haven't seen the building in a while, but I wanted to remind you of what it looks like a little bit in a different spot than the normal uh, in front of the barn doors video. Um, this church, this uh, main floor here took a lot of work. In fact, not only the main floor, but we did some stuff in the, in the uh, lower level too. <laughs> That's what we're calling it, the lower level. The lower level too, um, we ripped up carpet and uh, all that kind of good stuff. Um, there was a lot of stuff that had to be removed. We did all that, but uh, we still get compliments uh, from the inside of this building. Um, even uh, here in quarantine, <laughs> where uh, people have to come in and uh, do stuff in the building. So um, it is, we would say stage one has been completed, and it still looks great. Um, if you didn't, if you weren't in here all the time, you didn't inspect the, every little thing like I can see sometimes um, 
you would think that this building was done by highly paid professionals. And the truth is, there were a lot of volunteers who put a lot of time and effort and work into this building. And, uh, you know, I still look at it as like we're not done with it yet. We still have a lot to go. We've got a basement that needs to be refinished. We've got an exterior that needs to be updated. Um, but we keep mo marching along. We just accomplished the playground, so that's really cool. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to announce that the kids can play on it um, pretty soon um, here in the neighborhood with um, some of the restrictions being lifted and all that. Um, but anyways, uh, that was a, a major accomplishment for us as a church is, is getting this facility done. Now, a um, long time ago, I, I haven't been doing it lately, <laughs> a long time ago uh, when I felt the call to become a, a senior pastor, um, I started looking for churches that were open and available and wanted a pastor. And so a lot of times I would scroll, you'd look through there, the, the church had write down some information about them, and a lot of times it would be like, okay, what are, what are your greatest accomplishments? And, you know, you would get to these churches and the, ch the, the church would say, our last greatest accomplishment was in 1967 where we uh, finally built the worship center. Or it was, our greatest accomplishment was back in 1980 uh, where we added on to the Sunday school wing. Or our greatest accomplishment was uh, back in 1952 <laughs> when we really came together as a church and built the sanctuary. And so as you can see, a lot of the responses uh, were the church's greatest accomplishment was something that the people built with their hands, but not really with their hearts. You see, um, I, have, I have no doubt that people invested a lot of their heart time and energy into this building. Uh, but what I'm saying is, is that our greatest accomplishment as a church cannot be that we built a building. It has to be that we invested in the lives of people and we built the church, not the building, but the gathering. Always the gathering. It has to be all about the gathering. That is the most important thing. So when we look at the table and we look at this fine facility that we have here, do we say, man, all those time and hours and, and, and labor and volunteer that went into the facility, is that our greatest accomplishment? I would say no. Our greatest accomplishment has been to gather a group of believers together that studies the word of God, that worships together, that loves on each other, that is a backbone for each other when it is needed. That is the greatest thing that we have built as a church is the gathering of people. And so anyways, I don't want us to forget that. And I don't think Paul and Barnabas want us to forget that either. Um, so as they come back, from um, their two-year excursion of a missionary journey, uh, we find ourselves here in Acts 15, and they are stuck in the middle. And when I say that, they are stuck in the middle. They are past their last journey, but yet they are still trying to figure out what their next journey will hold. 
And so a lot of times for us at the table, we kind of feel like that sometimes where we are stuck in the middle. Like we have assembled a gathering. We have uh, renovated a building. Now we have, um, we have uh, built a playground. And so now it's like, okay, what's next? And uh, so we're trying to lean towards what's next, but we don't really know when next is uh, because of the situations where we find ourselves now. Um, but anyways, uh, Paul and Barnabas, when they returned, uh, they were uh, full of stories. Can you imagine listening to all the stories about um, the, the sorcerer um, who, who Paul cast blindness on? I mean, that would be an incredible story to hear. <laughs> like, you did what? <laughs> and then, um, you know, just maybe even talking a little bit about this guy, John Mark, who we're going to talk about here in a little bit, about, you know, uh, Paul and Barnabas stuck it out through the whole trip, but John Mark barely even made it past the first few cities. What's going on with that? How come he didn't stick with the team? And then you've got all these different situations that they found themselves in, like they walked into this Jewish synagogue, they found themselves giving, given the opportunity to stand up and to teach about Jesus, which is awesome. And some people even engaged with them and believed it. And then some people turned on them and start, wanted to kill them. I mean, those would be, those would be pretty crazy, amazing stories. Um, but here we are, Acts 15, as Paul and Barnabas get back, um, we just find out real quick um, that there are people who believe different things. <laughs> And if you didn't believe that already in today's world, in today's society, there is a couple people who march in, walk into the church uh, that Paul and Barnabas were the pastors of. Okay, Paul and Barnabas were the pastors there. Then they got sent off on their missionary journey. So um, a couple other uh, people took over the church there and, and did a good job pastoring it. And when they came back, there were some people who said they were from Jerusalem who came and to the church and said, hey, look. All of this, this is just uh, a facade. This is, this is nothing because none of you have actually become Jewish first. <laughs> and the church, the church at Antioch was like, what are you talking about? None of us. I mean, we aren't Jewish. We're not Jewish. We're Gentiles. We're people who were far from that religion. And that's what these people, they're like, well, I know. That's why you can't be a Christian either. And so that stirred up a, 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 a wave of trouble because uh, Paul and Barnabas had been teaching that you didn't have to be Jewish first to become a Christian. And uh, so anyways, the, the church does the right thing. Instead of saying, oh, the church in Jerusalem is talking crazy, we are going to uh, begin this new denomination against the church in Jerusalem and call them out, they actually sent delegates back to the church in Jerusalem to get their questions answered legitimately. And so can you imagine what would have happened um, if they would have just taken the guy's word for it who showed up at their church and said, this is what the church of Jerusalem says? I mean, the church would have been split right there. I mean, the church would have been, I mean, split right down the middle. But instead, they had the insight and the knowledge to go back to the original church in Jerusalem and ask the questions before they got all bent out of shape. And so they sent Paul and Barnabas. They sent Paul and Barnabas that way. 
So they've got they've just finished this this huge missionary trip. They're back home and now they've got some business to conduct. And so here they go. It's like you have your project done and then it's on to the next project. On to the next project. On to the next project. You, there's there's not really any downtime. Um, this is where sometimes um, I get a little frustrated uh, with life because I like to accomplish something and then I like to sit back and enjoy what I've accomplished. <laughs> but there are other people in life who, when they accomplish something, they don't like to sit back and enjoy what they accomplished. They accomplished that thing so that they can go on to the next thing immediately. And so there, there, those are there's a couple different types of people in this world. Uh, people who like to enjoy what they accomplished and people who use what they accomplished as a stepping stone to get to the next thing, to get to the next thing. And neither one is really bad, um, but I have found out that the, the, the ones who enjoy their accomplishments um, sometimes don't accomplish as much as those who use accomplishments and stepping stones. And I have also found out that those who use the accomplishments as stepping stones um, seldom do they actually enjoy what they've done. They don't get to look back and say, look at the things that I've accomplished or look at this beautiful thing that I accomplished because they're already on to the next thing. So that's a, a free, free counseling right there. <laughs> so anyways, um, as, we, as we move on here, just um, get, to get some insight, the church in in Antioch is, is not a normal uh, Jewish church. It didn't start Jewish. Um, remember, we talked about this a few chapters back, that it started as kind of like a hodgepodge of uh, different belief systems um, that was centered around Jesus Christ. They all found Jesus together, and so they started this church. And so, um, you know, what do you have in the audience of the church in Antioch? Well, you have somebody who used to um, sacrifice animals to different gods. Well, that's not too different from the Jewish religion that used to sacrifice animals to God. So not, not too far off. Except, except um, these new religion, or these other religions that would sacrifice their animals, um, they would uh, drink the blood. <laughs> that's kind of gross a little bit to us in today's society, but that's what would happen. And so um, when uh, you get to this place in Antioch, you've got people who are sitting in the audience who used to sacrifice animals to different gods and who used to drink the blood of animals and even um, used to, like, um, kill the animals themselves. They would, uh, you know, uh, it even says that they would, they would choke the goats uh, to, to kill them, okay? Um, and so then you also have people in the audience um, who would go to temples um, where um, at the temple there would be prostitutes. And so, I mean, it's just a completely different form of worship than what we are used to today. We don't have any blood. We don't have any live animals. We definitely don't have any prostitutes here at church. And, um, you know, and that's, that's uh, it's for them, um, that was the norm. At a temple, those things would be there. Um, but for the church in Jerusalem, which had, um, for the Jewish culture, drinking blood was always bad, 
okay? And uh, prostitution was always bad. And so there is a, a stern difference here between um, becoming Jewish and how much do you have to live like a Jew in order to count as a Christ follower, all right? And so that's where we are here. Um, that's where we are here in Acts 15. And so they send uh, Paul and Barnabas to the, to the Jewish council. And again, Paul and Barnabas have this amazing opportunity to tell their story. Uh, I don't know if you caught it in there, but it said as Paul and Barnabas got there, uh, they had the opportunity to stand up and share about their their trip, their mission, their experience. And this is what the gospel is all about, really. It's all about where we've been and where we are going. It's all about the, the t times in our lives that God has showed up. God has showed up, and we have the opportunity to share that. Um, you know, for, for us, I, I mean, I just love talking about times when, when God showed up in our lives. When we moved here, uh, we moved here uh, really with, with uh, no job. Um, we had some funds in the bank, but uh, no job and, and really no place to live. We, we got, a, an, or, uh, we got a, a house. We rented a house for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, God just provided for us over and over and over again. I mean, he just showed up and he just showed off incredibly. And he still continues to do that. Um, anyways, uh, one of the things that I was going talking about here were, with Paul and Barnabas, they were on a mission to ask this question from the church, like, hey, what do you expect of us? But really, they had the opportunity to, to tell the story of what God was doing throughout the whole continent of Asia. It was... It, it, be, it would have been incredible to have been in the room. Um, anyways, so um, anyways, you've got these uh, different worship practices, like from the, the, the foreign god temples, and then like how people worshipped in the temple in Jerusalem, um, to really how, how did that merge with how are we supposed to worship God in a church in Acts 15? Um, so for the Jewish people, um, they... They worship through like rules and regulations, um, so they they made God happy by obeying the law. Okay, by obeying the law, um, so there was no working on the Sabbath. Um, they, you couldn't harvest on the Sabbath. So what that meant was not only couldn't you harvest on the Sabbath, you couldn't even climb a tree on the Sabbath because climbing a tree um, looked like you were trying to harvest something. So no climbing the tree. So it, it evolved like the the law was no harvesting. But then it evolved to no climbing a tree on the Sabbath. Um, there was uh, no planting um, or no plowing on the Sabbath. And, um, you know, what that meant was uh, you couldn't uh, run a plow down the middle of a field, uh, work in your oxen and uh, to, to get your fields ready uh, because God commanded a break on the Sabbath. And so what happened was over time, this evolved to... Um, you couldn't even, uh, because there's dirt floors in the house, you couldn't even scoot your chair on the Sabbath because the, the leg of your chair would plow into the dirt underneath or on your floor of your little house there. And so the law was no plowing, no planting, but it evolved into you couldn't even move furniture on the Sabbath. And so um, after years of micromanaging the law of God and adding to it, the law became huge. It became so big. 
um, you couldn't even obey it. In fact, um, let me find this in here. Um, James, James really comes to the rescue here. Let me find this real quick. My Bible is petitioned in the middle with maps here. Uh, but it says, yeah, so the uh, apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue at the meeting. After a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed the, fo the followers, and he, he talked about how God had come to him uh, to preach to the Gentiles. Um, and it says, when they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And then he gives this scripture. And then he says, and so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them uh, these things to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. And then he says, for these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. All right. Um, Anyways, uh, you know, I see it's in here where Peter says, God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving the Holy Spirit just needed to do us. He made no distinction between us and them for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? It was Peter who said it. So Peter said, hey, look, guys, um, we have these laws and we can't even live up to them. It's impossible. We can't even live up to them. There's so many. And so why would we burden somebody else with a list of junk that we can't even live up to? That, that seems um, pretty hypocritical. And so they're trying to really iron down what is it, what is it that you have to do in order to live a Christian life? Um, so and it does get pretty simple here. Pretty simple. You want me to read the letter to you? I've already read it once, but just so you're reminded, this is the letter that the church in Jerusalem, the founding fathers, if you will, the apostles, um, wrote back, wrote back uh, to this church in um, Antioch. It says, um, we understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching, but we did not send them. So they wanted to clarify that, that they were not sent by this Jerusalem council. And then he says, so we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you official representatives along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, who they sent? We are sending Judas and Silas. Uh, to confirm what we have decided concerning your question. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols. Now, I would say in today's society, you and I could probably check that one off, okay? So, uh, abstain from eating food offered to idols. Um, abstain from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals. Now, I don't know for sure how the animals that I eat die, um, but I don't think they're strangled. I don't think. So anyways, uh, we, can, we can check that one off, all right? So, um, and then it said, um, abstain 
from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. Now see, isn't this the kicker? <laughs> like we've got the first three on the list, okay? Uh, let's see. Um, let's see. Abstain. Abstain from eating food offered to idols. Check. Abstain from consuming blood. Check. Abstain um, from the meat of strangled animals. Mm, I think so. Check. Abstain from sexual immorality. Mm. Now this, this is tough for us. Uh, you see, in the olden days, in the New Testament here, um, like prostitution was a part of some of the worship settings of um, false religions. And so um, they understood this, like uh, when it came across no sexual immorality. Okay, so no prostitutes, um, no affairs, uh, all, those, all those things. Um, you know, they didn't have the internet they didn't have um, the iPhone that has all these smartphones that have uh, quick access to anything that we could ever want or not want to look at. Um, so let's, let's sit here for a second and let's talk about this difficult subject. Um, what's the definition of sexual immorality? I know you're waiting for me to give you one. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident that if you are a Christ follower, inside of your life resides the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has to be given the authority to tell you what is good and what is not. Now, being human by nature, we have the authority to say no to the Holy Spirit. Like we can be watching something and all of a sudden we get this feeling, hey, I shouldn't be watching this, but I want to. So the I shouldn't be watching this is the Holy Spirit. The but I want to is the human nature side of you. And so you get to choose which one you obey. And whichever one you obey gets stronger in your life. Do you choose to obey the Holy Spirit and do what he asks you to do? Or do you choose to obey your human nature and go counter to the Holy Spirit? So I'm not going to give you a huge list of what is sexually immoral and what isn't sexually immoral, what is okay, what isn't okay. Um, because I, I do believe that um, the Holy Spirit will do the work. Now, the right answer is, is will we listen to the Holy Spirit? Will we listen to the Holy Spirit to tell us uh, to regulate uh, what we consume? Now, I mean, we all know that, uh, you know, having an affair 
um, is, is wrong according to the scriptures. Um, that's, that is definitely wrong. Lusting is wrong according to the scriptures. Um, you know, so uh, the, those are the things um, that, uh, that uh, anyways, Holy Spirit will be your guide. You just have to listen. So, all right, so enough on that. We're going to head on to our, our final piece of this puzzle here. 30 minutes, holy cow. Let me just cruise along here real quick. Um, where Paul and Barnabas uh, deliver the letter back to the church in Antioch. And then Paul says, boy, that trip was really fun. Let's go on another one. <laughs> and uh, Barnabas was like, yeah, let's go. And Paul's like, it starts as not as a missionary journey, but really as a, um, a reunion trip. Now they're going to go back and visit those churches again. Uh, like I said, there's been some time, some space, some distance, and they want to go back and check out to see um, how the flame has been igniting, to see if the, the pilot light is still going on these churches. And so what happens is, is Paul says, Barnabas, let's go. And Barnabas says, yeah, let's go. I will go get John Mark. And Paul says, he's not coming. And Barnabas says, yes, he is. Paul says, no, he's not coming. He deserted us. That is the word he used here. He deserted us. In fact, when we were reading about that initially, uh, I believe back in Acts 13, where uh, John Mark jumps ship and is just like, and John Mark left and went back to Jerusalem. It didn't say anything about deserting. So, so we, don't, we know what Luke thought. Luke just thought he left and went home because Luke is the author of this. But when he is right here, he is documenting this conversation between Paul and Barnabas. He uses this word desertion. Like John Mark got out of there. It's not like they had um, a, a, a swell goodbye. Uh, no, it's John Mark left in the midst of trouble. When he needed to stay, according to Paul, when he needed to stay, he left. And so you've got this struggle right here in Acts 15. And it's a struggle that will not be solved other than the parting of ways of Paul and Barnabas. The, the dispute is so sharp that they can't even work together anymore. Um, so Barnabas takes John Mark and goes the first route, um, and Paul picks a new partner, and his name is Silas, this guy who, who helped bring the letter up from Jerusalem, and they go back north, um, traveling up through those cities that way. Um, so anyways, um, that's a good question sometimes, like, what happens in a church when there's a dispute? Well, from everything I've seen, a couple different things happen. Usually, what happens if there's a dispute is that somebody just leaves the church and doesn't tell anybody why. Um, the second thing that happens is that it is vocalized to everybody except to the person who the grievance is with. <laughs> you get my drift here? I mean, I'm talking gossip here. Like, they did this. Can you believe they did this? I can't even believe they did this. This is what they did um, without actually going to the person and saying, hey, do you know you did this? This is, this is how it felt to me. And we're not very feelings people except when we're telling other people about other people. Then we are really feelings people. All right. We don't want to tell somebody they hurt our feelings, but we want to tell their friend that their friend 
hurt our feelings, okay? Um, so anyways, uh, that's, that's two scenarios there. Uh, the third scenario is, um, you know, what's biblical, and that's uh, you seek the person out and say, hey, I think you hurt me here, that you offended me in this way, and then it either gets resolved or it doesn't get resolved. If it doesn't get resolved, then what you're supposed to do is ask a couple Christ-following people to go have the conversation with you so they can mediate the conversation. And then if it still doesn't get resolved, um, then you just got two people who are on completely different sides of an aisle uh, who probably can't work together. And so what do you do? You do what Paul and Barnabas did. Sometimes you just have to split up. And that's why churches so many times um, have split uh, because they are so different in their thoughts and their beliefs or in their, um, you know, usually it's about like what color carpet or something stupid. Um, but anyways, you get these people who just, they, they cannot get along. And so I like to, to laugh about it sometimes, um, but I never want it to be me. I never want it to be us here at the table and I know that there will be times where somebody does something, where I will do something um, that, that I'll hurt somebody. I'm not, not intending to because if you know me, I'm definitely a person who uh, does not want anybody's feelings hurt. That's for sure. Um, but I can't always promise that. I can't always deliver that. Um, and so I know that sometimes I'll disappoint people. But I would hope that if I disappoint you, you would come and tell me um, instead of telling everybody else but me. So, what happens to John Mark? We're gonna we're gonna end here. Uh, it's a beautiful thing that because uh, John Mark, you know, we he wrote he wrote the book of Mark. Um, that that Paul ended up. Uh, we think that he ended up forgiving the guy uh, completely because um, in a letter he wrote to a guy named Timothy, um, he writes about John Mark. He says. Uh, Timothy, uh, as, as Paul is writing this, he's in prison. He says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Uh, Demas has deserted me. All right, there's another guy. Like, Paul is, is not about people deserting him, okay? He says, uh, uh, Demas has deserted me uh, because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Uh, he says, Crescent has gone to Galatia, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. It says, only Luke is with me. The, the, the writer of Acts is, is with uh, Paul now um, in his time in prison. And then he says this. He says, uh, bring Mark with you when you come. For he will be helpful to me in my ministry. You see, I think Paul has uh, put everything, um, uh, washed everything under the bridge here. Um, I think he realized you know, John Mark may have been young at the time of the because the, this this letter is sometime down the road. Um, he may have realized that uh, he what Paul wasn't right in what his thoughts were about John Mark, and so we get a glimpse here that the relationship was actually restored um, down down the line somewhere. Uh, so that's what I hope for um, for us or for you um, for any broken relationship that you have. Um, that one day it will be restored, that one day God will um, allow you to uh, forgive, um, that uh, they, God will allow whoever it is um, who thinks you wronged them to forgive you. 
Well, Acts 15 um, is the middle ground. It's the after, the before, and it's before the after. (laughs) And sometimes I feel like this is the state in life that we all are stuck in. Uh, We know what was in the past. We dream about what's in the future. But what kind of life are you living right now, and does it matter? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the table gatherers uh, and for all the folks um, who love your church. I just pray, God, that um, through this next season, stages of life, uh, that you would encourage us to um, be more about building the gathering than about um, maintaining the facility. (laughs) I pray, God, that uh, we would be about um, loving people into the kingdom and not about um, having rules and regulations that um, keep people away from the kingdom. And finally, God, I just, I pray that as we go into the future, that we know that there will be disagreements. But I pray, God, that we would be able to um, disagree, but not that our disagreements would end with bitterness. We love you today, God. We are thankful for the church and how the church started and how the church is today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.